Hi, it's Ben from The Better Podcast here. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to talk to Phil Clough from Mux, who's a video ingest, transcoding, and delivery platform, amongst many other things. Uh, We spoke at length about his journey into video delivery. We spoke about how COVID has changed events, driving them all online, how the industry is is changing since that has happened, and what he believes the future holds for events and video online. Please enjoy. Thanks very much for joining me on The Better Podcast. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for inviting me to be here. Really excited. Fantastic. Well, for, I mean, we've had a little bit of introduction. No, we've had a bit of, I was going to say intercourse, conversational intercourse. (laughs) (laughs) Freezing. (laughs) Freezing. (laughs) I'm going to keep that in. So we've spoken a little bit over, over the period of, you know, since I've been dealing with mucks, but for those who don't know, Tell us a little bit about yourself. What an introduction. Oh, yeah. Introduction. Nailed it. First try as well. <laughs> oh, no yeah. editing at all. <laughs> nope. Tell us about uh, yourself. Yeah. So my name's Phil. I work for a company called Mux. We're a San Francisco-based startup uh, with a bunch of people uh, in London as well. I've, I've been in the video technology space for a bit over 10 years now. My first job was at the BBC, working on BBC iPlayer. I then went and built a stream platforms at Brightcove, one of the, the biggest OVPs, and then thought, oh, I'll have a little bit of a break, and then went to work at a startup with a bunch of my friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a break. Yeah. Well, that's, that's oh, I could do a whole, sh- whole show just on your experience. <laughs> that is a hell of a resume. How did you get into tech? Because, I mean, that sounds like you've done a lot of different things. Like, can you give us an understanding of the course? Yeah, sure. I I started in tech. It, it, it's so weird. I, I never intended to end up in video technology. I often think like not a lot of people did really want to end up in video technology. As a kid growing up, I guess like a, a lot of time I was I was very like into electronics and that sort of thing. Never never like that into computer science. Like it wasn't something that was as taught in like the schools I went to. Particularly like I, I grew up in like. Northeast Lincolnshire, not exactly where you think about, you know, top end uh, computer science <laughs> coming from. But yeah, I was I was always around like cameras and video cameras mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So I always had like a, a passion for it. I, I kind of stumbled into my job at the BBC, honestly, okay. um, when I graduated. I'd done a, I'd done a placement year working with a, a small startup in Manchester at the time mm-hmm. uh, called Transitive. They ultimately ended up getting bought by IBM and a lot of history there and some people i'd worked with there had ended up coming down to the bbc bbc at the time was a big pearl shop yep man i yeah <laughs> i still occasionally write pearl i like pearl okay um, old school <laughs> but my, my manager at the time from my my year in industry was then down working at bbc and said hey you should come work down here and then kind of worlds collided a bit of like hey yeah i really like this video thing and yeah okay yeah. so let's let's do that i guess so was is did you I mean, BBC is a pearl shop, meaning iPlayer mm. is built in pearl. It, it was at the time. There's, there's very little pearl okay. there now, as far as I know. Okay. There might, there might be some. That's crazy. But, yeah, when I joined, it was I don't know, it's like twenty ten ish. It was yeah, like overwhelmingly a pearl shop. Yeah. Now it's a, a big Java shop. Lots of Java okay. there for kind of central media okay. pieces. So tell us a little bit about about Mux. I mean. Uh, so Mux, I think, is a Y Combinator alum. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Mux? Yeah, sure. So Mux is, uh, we're a Series D startup at this point. We've been going for just coming up six years now. I've, I've been there about 
just commit for free now. We build video for developers. Mm -hmm. So if you're just a developer who just wants to put video in your app or your service or whatever that just works, that's what we're there to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're not there to... um, go after huge media companies who want to do video, you know, someday yep. we'd love to go after that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's a huge amount of people who just want to put video in their applications. Like video mm-hmm. is becoming, and especially more over the last, you know, 18 months, two years than yeah. it ever has been, you know, this critical part of how people interact. And video is becoming like, like images was mm-hmm. in the early days of web. And that is, you know, to us really exciting. We want to democratize video. Every developer should be able to put video in their own application or service. Mm-hmm. So that's what yeah. we're that's what we're there to do. You can like, you can say, hey, like the stripe of video, right? You you don't go build Ooh, like your whole that. payments gateway when you want to accept payments. You just yep. use Stripe or you know one yep. of those those people. We want to be the video, like the, okay. the stripe of video. So. Yeah, that's cool. So it's kind of positioning for those who may know about like AWS. They mm. have an IVS service, which I think is just yeah. the opened. They opened up the back end of Twitch, and they call that IVS. <laughs> so BetterCast was actually we built out the very first version on IVS purely Mm -hmm. because it was incredibly simple, very, very Mm -hmm. simple and relatively low cost. And we have moved to Mux and I'm really happy to have done that, not only because of the simplicity of what you guys are doing, but the level of data feedback that you get from your systems. What do you think, do you know, or what was sort of the deciding factor that kind of, how are you going to be setting yourself different from something like IVS? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Maybe a little bit of, of kind of the background of, of the company is super interesting here. And you, you mentioned data being really important and we completely agree. Like the, the first product we went and built was and still is a data platform. And this is a platform to understand like how well your video is performing, like a, a new relic for video, I think was yeah. one of the very early pitches we used for that. And that's used by like some of the biggest streaming platforms in the world that's been used on the Super Bowl for the last three years Wow! to understand the experience people are having when they watch video. Are they seeing buffering? Are they, you know, how long does it take for video to start playing? Is video low quality? All those sorts of things. People put video applications out there and they just don't monitor them. And so the first product we built was a product to enable people to go and monitor their video applications. (laughs) Um, but that now informs everything we build in terms of the live streaming platform and the mm. you know the on-demand streaming platform is we use that data to make decisions. We use that data to educate how we build our adaptive bitrate ladders. All those pieces, like data is critical to that feedback loop of, mm. of building better video to use the, the motto of a company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good motto. It's a good motto. I think um, it's good. Yeah. So a lot of people will just sort of, when I say a lot of people, there are a large number of new entrants into live streaming, especially yeah. live streaming for client work in the mm-hmm. AV. They're coming off traditional AV, camera, mm-hmm. projector, moving to this live streaming. And for for a number of people, the comprehension of, of you know, it gets to my encoder. And mm-hmm. then as we said before, magic happens yeah. and delivery. <laughs> so, so Mux is the magic, but can you give mm-hmm. us sort of layman's understanding of just how that cloud delivery goes and transcoding and the actual, if you, the, the process screen to screen. Yeah, totally. It, it is amazing. People, yeah, you kind of think, well, it's, it's really easy, right? You just send it out the encoder and, and give it to people, right? And we'll, easy. Job, maybe, I guess, magic. <laughs> um, yeah, we kind of think about it in, in three phases. You know, a, a stream comes into us, for us, for live, that means an RTMP stream. RTMP, a, a very old protocol from the Flash video days um, that has 
stuck around. You know, a lot, a lot of competitors for it these days, but none that have really gained like uh, critical mass to replace it. So there you're sending up like one stream, so one high quality copy of your content mm. from your encoder that's on site. And then that's received by kind of our video processing stack. First thing we do is, is transcode that. So we're taking that inbound stream and we're creating a bunch of different qualities of that content. So mm-hmm. we're creating anywhere between, you know, a couple and, you know, five plus different copies of that content for different qualities. So anything from, you know, say half a megabit up to five megabit or six megabit, somewhere around there, and different qualities, kind of vertical resolutions there. So, you know, if, if, mm. if you play with a little little cogwheel in the corner of YouTube, you get, you know, 720p, 1080p, yep. 360p, all those different qualities. And we're doing that because people's internet connections change all the time. You can't just measure at the start of a playback session and say, okay, you've got you know enough bandwidth to do a 1080p stream. All sorts of things happen on the internet all the time. Whether that is you know a Dropbox sync kicking off on your machine, yeah. Whether that is Windows kid, update, Windows update, a kid upstairs Ooh. who's decided I'm going to start streaming my YouTube now, and you haven't got enough yeah. bandwidth for two. Um, <laughs> All the way through to my favorite one, which is I genuinely once lived somewhere where the Wi-Fi router was sat on top of a microwave. So every time somebody turns on the microwave, the <laughs> Wi-Fi just drops down. It took me ages okay. to work out what was going on there, where Wi-Fi would just go when people were making porridge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so we, we create all these different qualities. Some people call them renditions or whatever you want to call them. And the way we then package that up, kind of next step is packaging. So we then put those into segments or chunks, people call them. Mm-hmm. Those chunks are anywhere between like, two and ten seconds there'll be regular cadence so if you start at two seconds it'll always be two seconds or if it's six seconds it'll always be six seconds so then when we host those and deliver those through something called content delivery networks it's a very common strategy so this is how we ensure reach and quality across uh, large footprints of users we use we basically outsource that right um, yep. we don't want to go build a massive network around the world of tens of thousands of machines in, you know, hundreds of geographies, we pay the content delivery networks to do that for us. Yeah. So every request that's made to MUX goes through one or many content delivery networks, which then take those, you know, two to six second chunks of video, and then you can feed those into your your player. And, you know, the player then pretty much just looks at a chunk, downloads it, gets the video out and plays it for you. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of steps. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple. Just a couple. So there's two questions that come up. The first one mm. I want to talk about the ITMP and how legacy that is. Mm. But I also want to ask you about latency. So you, you mm. said that the video is chunked in two and two and six seconds. Does six that seconds. mean that when the browser is downloading each chunk, Essentially, that's my latency time. Like as I'm downloading, I'm yeah. two seconds ahead. Is that how mm. it works? Yeah, great, great question. So yeah, the general trunk size is between two and six seconds. Generally, a player is going to have a few of those in buffer mm. at any particular time. iOS will have three generally in, okay. in buffer at any one time. So if your trunk size is two seconds iOS adds natively just in the player six seconds on top of that. So like, that's okay. the minimum kind of 
buffer you're going to expect to have that tunable in a lot of players uh, not in ios specifically ios is just a great example um yeah. where we know what the tuning is by default but yeah so like if if you have a bigger chunk size there so you know if your chunk size is five seconds you know and ios keeps three segments it's going to be 15 seconds of latency just in that kind of last little bit of delivery before you right. even think about you know getting the signal in encoding it making sure that it's available those sorts yeah. of things yeah that does okay. play a huge part in the latency and we can really go into the, the latency story as well if you want to i don't well, know i don't, I don't know when this is going out so <laughs> uh, but i can i'm also it, I, happy to talk about you know what we're doing there and what the industry is doing there to improve that so yeah yeah i'd, I'd love to know a little bit more this isn't going out for uh, you know a couple of weeks two weeks okay. or so so maybe that fits in with i'm assuming you have some development plans and release schedule yes. that you're Yes. yes, there is something coming in about a week that will Ooh. very much play into that. So. Ooh. Yeah. Can you tell me? Can, can you tell yeah. me? I, I can talk about it. If you promise not to release this in Scouts seven honor. days. Scouts on <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so in terms of improving latency, a lot of latency is, is as I can just describe, very much built into the protocol there. So, mm. you know, if you're using two-second segments, yeah, you're going to kind of naturally build in about six seconds of latency yeah. there. For nearly two years now, I, I, I realized this the other day when I was writing a blog post, we've been talking about low latency HLS. So mm. HLS is one of the protocols that is generally used to deliver video. It's Apple's mm -hmm. protocol for delivering video, but it's also pretty universal. 95% yep. uh, of devices can play HLS in some way or another, whether that is mm. via a web player or a native player or, or something else. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. We've been talking, yeah, for, for two years now about low latency HLS. Um, this is something that... The author of the HLS spec, Roger Pantos, started working on about two years ago. It, it's been a super interesting journey for those last two years to low latency HLS because the community had proposed a low latency extension to HLS, which was okay. a little bit of history here, but it was it was actually based on the Twitch approach for low latency. Okay. So Twitch have their own proprietary low latency HLS, which is just an yeah. extension on top of the spec. And John Bartos, who was working at Twitch at the time, actually proposed that as like, hey, here's a community standard for doing low latency HLS. So it was hmm. very close to the, what Twitch were doing at the time. And then Apple said, hey, no, we're going to do something like completely different. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah, Apple. classic Apple. <laughs> so, yeah, we, so Twitch's proposal was around using chunk transfer. So HTTP 1.1 has chunk transfer mode, which is mm -hmm. like you can, you can send something back without a content length as it's being produced. So, and then kind of like a custom player to, to deal with that. So you kind of advertise it just as it's beginning to be created. That chunk is just as it's beginning to be created. And then it'll take you exactly two seconds to download two seconds of video. So yeah, it enables you to get the latency pretty low. It's very hard to estimate bandwidth reliably uh, when in low latency mode, particularly built yep. on top of chunk transfer. Apple's initial proposal was, was really radically different. It used HTTP2 push to push segments from the server side. So that's where they get pushed from the server to the client. That that kind of hit a lot of lot of resistance in the video developer community because the availability of HTTP2 push on modern CDNs is is very poor, and that was actually really validated about nearly a year ago now because Google are getting rid of HTTP2 push from Chrome. It's staying in the protocol, obviously, but H2 push yeah. is disappearing from Chrome because it's virtually unused. I think it's a tiny okay. fraction of a percentage of sites actually used it. So a lot of community, yeah, went back to Apple. We we actually did two workshops 
the com- just the community in general with Apple, both on site in Cupertino, which was a fun mm-hmm. experience. That would uh, cool. yes. have you went yourself? Yeah, yeah. I was oh, in San cool. Francisco for it. We actually did it back to back with Demux which was great. A bit more about Demux later, obviously. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> but yeah, so we did it back-to-back with Demux, and we did the other one back-to-back with Mile High Video, which is another conference video. And yeah, so uh, we gave them a lot of feedback, worked with them on a lot of a lot of problems we were seeing there, and so did lots of other people in the industry, and Apple ended up making some significant changes to that specification. And yeah, it's now finally getting into a place where it's it's getting towards usable we're going to be i don't know i mean think about how i'm going to phrase this so this is going out in two weeks okay two or three okay i'm not a, i'm not very okay. fastidious with okay. my editing so okay perfect that's, that's good to hear so <laughs> we just announced our low latency implementation which is based straight off on top of apple's Excellent. low latency hls that's kind of available to everyone now there are some caveats. The player okay. ecosystem still isn't quite there yet. We have changes going into open source players that we're, we're pushing in the community to help improve that stability for like web players. But the big one is we're, we're also kind of waiting on Apple a little bit. While low latency HLS does work on iOS 14, really iOS 15 has like a huge improvement in the low latency okay. HLS experience. So we're, you know, it's there. You can try it. You can use it. Player support is still not perfect, but we're pushing hard in the community to improve that. You know, we, we really want this done. So what players are supported on, on release? So on release, I mean, it'll play in HLSJS, one of the biggest open source HLS players. We're putting in some pull requests there to improve that and improve reliability. It works in VideoJS, which again, big open source player. Works in the commercial, a couple of the commercial players well as well. Theo Player have a good low latency mode that actually works really well. JW Player is is based on HLSJS, so should work well there as well. Okay. Exo Player has support for it as well on Android okay. in modern versions. There's, there's quite a lot. Yeah, it seems it, it's there's quite a lot of players. there. It's just not quite perfect yet, and yeah, we're hoping by bringing this thing and putting it in front of a lot of people, we can say like, hey, let's work as a community and improve the player support. Yeah, to, to hopefully get that to an even better place than it okay. is now. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, VideoJS is supported because that's what I use. Good. That's what we use at Metacast. <laughs> <laughs> I, currently, I think your latency, I know that you have, uh, when building the, 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 the live stream, you can specify to show uh, a low latent mm. or low latency stream, but you lose your 25 second, 25 second or 60 second the reconnect, reconnect window. window. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how's that going to go? How's the reconnect window and latency going to work now? Yeah. So start a little bit, maybe, maybe talk a bit about latency and, and what we're seeing and, and what we're expecting and where we think it's, it's going to get to. So the current implementation of low latency HLS on MUX will get you somewhere in the region of four to seven seconds. That's exciting. <laughs> That's good. That's four to six seconds is very good. Yeah. We, w- the, there's, there's caveats. There always will be caveats on this stuff. It, it depends on geography pretty heavily right now. Mm-hmm. We're working hard to improve that. So like mainland US and Western Europe. Uh, should be mm-hmm. pretty good beyond those geographies it, it potentially as you get further from us it starts to get a bit a bit more questionable we're working on that actively we also we also think there's well we know there's still some latency improvements we can do for sure mm-hmm. there's still some player tuning to do for sure but what i'd what i'd say is 
the protocol as it stands, low latency HLS, best case is going to get down to two and a half. That's, that's insane. I would say I, it's that's not going to get much blue. I, I would be very impressed if the protocol can get below two and a half, maybe even three. Um, yeah. But yeah. I don't think like two, five seconds is, is fantastic mm. in most of, in most of these sort of conference worlds, like 45 seconds is, is acceptable. 25 seconds is, which I think you're currently at is like good. Five seconds is exceptional. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so what about, or do you have a rough idea on Australia, New Zealand latency? Mm. Is it, is it, a couple of seconds, we just, you know, it, instead of five, it might be six or seven, or is it still going to be 15? We don't have a good answer on that, honestly. I'm looking forward to uh, gathering more data on those, okay. obviously. <laughs> I would expect in a lot of cases players to kind of fail off of the low latency mode as the latency increases. That, that's one of the things we're looking at in our open source contributions. So Apple's player does fail back if it if it kind of encounters too much buffering on a low latency stream it will fail you back to like the the normal latency experience okay and that's that's also one of the big things about the protocol as it stands is if your player can't speak low latency you just get kind of normal latency which will be the yeah the the kind of 7 to 15 territory you know they're they're two second segments and so it's going to be six at least at a fundamental level so yeah it's it's that's what we're expecting, you know, getting this out and, and getting it in more people's hands is an important step in progressing our ecosystem as well. Mm. You did you did also mention reconnect. I did want to mention that. At least. Yes, yeah, please. Uh, today, the same caveats as like our reduced latency, present and below latency. So you do lose the ability to use reconnects. That is a priority, though. We do want to get kind of reconnects into there. It might look a little bit different. Like it might be slates is one of the things we're looking at doing mm -hmm. there rather than like right now, the reconnect behavior is to hold people in a rebuffering state, which isn't necessarily great. So we're looking at, for example, should we should we give you the option to say, tell us what slate you want us to show if you hit a reconnect? You know, okay. that classic Simpsons technical difficulties <laughs> slate, <laughs> and and maybe well, maybe that's, that's a better a better solution there. The latency issue. So, do developers now have sorry the latency change? Mm. Do developers have to do anything different? Is there additional steps they have to take? Now that you're introducing the low latency or not? not? Not really. It's a flag. You know, flag your stream okay. with low latency when you create it. That's that's it. That's um, it. Use a player that supports low latency is, is your <laughs> thing. And that's that's getting better as we as we push that, that ecosystem as well. Yeah. So. Okay, fantastic. So I want to go back to the very start, mm. which is the ITMP and ITMPS. Yeah. As you stated, it is very old tech. I didn't quite know how old <laughs> And I've been talking to some people, and hopefully I've got a guy coming on on the show in a number of weeks. Mm. They are pioneering NDI and NDI cameras. Mm -hmm. And the whole NDI technology, which was explained to me, and I don't know if you know much about it, and if you do, I'd love some more insight. But the whole NDI technology of instead of it's packaging video, it's, it's packaging data mm. and posting data out. Do you think that there are viable alternatives to RTMP that are faster, better quality, higher data bit rates. Is NDI a good option for that? Or what do you think? Yeah, that that world is changing really rapidly. And kind of every time I have a conversation there, it, it's it's changing. There's there's a couple of big protocols. There's there's SRT and RIST. So mm -hmm. that's 
I'm not even going to remember the the acronyms for those. SRT to me is is subrip text format. Subtitles, uh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, right. So yeah, so SRT and RIST are both like forward error corrected uh, transport streams for for public mm-hmm. internet. They go about kind of how they do like retransmission and like NACs a little bit differently from each other, but fundamentally they're kind of the same approach. One of them, SRT, came out of a commercial product. That was then kind of open specification back from the commercial product. Mm-hmm. RIST is kind of an open standard from the start. They they have like different characteristics, but kind of approaching the same the same problem. You know, they will get with a good amount of headroom. You know, on a on a lossy network, still a very good video signal out. Right now, they're a lot harder to configure and understand than RTMP is. RTMP is kind of really simple for people to use. And and for us, one of the big challenges with with both those technologies is they can't do multiplexing in the same way we do RTMP. So mm-hmm. the, it, it's kind of a double edged sword. Like RIST and SRT are both UDP based, right? Which has headaches. RTMP mm-hmm. is uh, TCP based, which has a whole different set of headaches. You know, it, that is like one of the fundamental problems of RTMP is you know because it's TCP, it's connection oriented. If you drop a connection, well you kind of got to reconnect it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like the, the advantage is yes, SLT and RISP, both kind of UDP, fire and forget, mm-hmm. then kind of NACs coming back over control channel. So those technologies like are much harder to configure and much harder for a user to understand mm-hmm. as well. Like you need to talk very differently about how you size a network for an SRT or a RISP, RISP stream because yep. you're kind of sizing for like, say, like let's say half of your bandwidth because you want to have that second half of your bandwidth available for retransmission, for example. So like mm-hmm. that, like the amount of extra headroom you have on bandwidth directly translates to how much packet loss, for example, you can you can deal with. Mm-hmm. And on like SRT in particular, you specify like the latency that you're going to build into a protocol, which kind of gives you the, the window for how long you can retransmit things for, like how much buffer there is for retrans. Both of those are you know, when, when used well, great protocols. NDI, I'm, I'm less familiar with NDI, honestly, as a contribution protocol. Like to me, NDI has always kind of been like, be in the room with the same piece of kit. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to read more into that. Yeah, the, the big challenge is that that multiplexing component of it. RTMP is really easy to multiplex. We can give all our customers mm-hmm. the same RTMP endpoint, stick it behind the TCP load balancer and kind of just, just works, right? You've got a stateful connection. Much harder and less complete and less understood in in SRT and, and RIST world. I'd also I also should want to mention a, a protocol called WIP, which is the mm-hmm. WebRTC ingest specification. So this is okay. the idea here is to use WebRTC as a replacement for WebRT for RTMP. That's pretty exciting as well. Um, that's by a, a guy called. Ryan Jesperson at and, and a bunch of people at, at Millicast worked on that. It's pretty cool. There's a fork of OBS with compatibility with it, so it's it's pretty good fun. Okay, like what's the data size that that Web, uh, WebRTC can handle? 4K or not? Really? Yeah, I mean, there's there's it's it's complicated. You can kind of send whatever you want. Uh, it's 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 about how you know how you tune it more than anything. You know how much mm. how much buff you put in. Like like we're on a WebRTC connection now for those who can't see us strange description but we're, we're communicating <laughs> yeah. with WebRTC right now and you know the, the protocol as it stands today is very much built for like make sacrifices in quality to maintain latency mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. whip are more tunable to like okay well 
because it's an ingest protocol, I'm actually accepting slightly more latency, but that gives me like higher retransmit windows. And so I can hopefully make sure that more of the video picture gets there. Mm. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that as well. And, and then there's, there's also all sorts of people doing proprietary things over quick. A lot of people experimenting that area at the moment, Facebook and uh, Instagram are doing lots of stuff in that area. They talked about that last year at DMERCs. Yeah. So that, that stuff is is also really exciting as well. So mm. I think we're going to suddenly be in a, a world <laughs> of different uh, <laughs> contribution protocols in the next couple of months. Fantastic. Lots of confusing and interrupt- <laughs> non-interacting yeah. software. Oh, what a world. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit more high level if we can mm. for a moment. What are the basic differences between... AWS and Mux. Why should I choose Mux? <laughs> great, great question. I I tie down to a few things. It's worth remembering that there's a bunch of ways you can build video on AWS as well. Everything from, hey, I'm going to spin up my own box with FFmpeg, Nginx, RTMP, you know, use S3, you know, build it yourself. And a lot of people do do that still. Through to yeah, media services, AWS and media services division, which obviously. A lot of that was acquired from Elemental a few years ago up in Portland mm-hmm. through to, yeah, IBS, their new live streaming service, which again was acquired <laughs> through, yeah. through Twitch. We're, we're very different to kind of that, that media services group. That's a large, you know, media oriented, like bolt together. Mm-hmm. You're in, like pick an encoder, use that, pick a packager, use that, maybe tie on the live streaming, use their storage, that sort of thing. So, you know, compared to that, we're very, you know, plug and play. Here's video. It just works. Compared to IVS, we see ourselves as providing much more of an ecosystem. You know, any live stream you do in MUX is instantly available as an on-demand asset, for example. There's no, you know, doesn't get archived to S3, have to download it, process it, you know, deal with it. It's kind of all just in in that ecosystem. But we're also giving, you know, if you use MUX video, you also get MUX data for free. You know, this, Mm. this same tool that people use to monitor the Super Bowl, you can use to monitor your event streams. And that's, that's really important. Mm. And we've worked very hard on giving kind of feedback around, you know, the quality of a connection to us, an RTMP connection specifically, like, is it coming in at a good quality, you know, and being able to dig in and, and take a look at, at those sorts of things. And we've really built it focusing very aggressively on the developer experience, right? The API experience, documentation and yeah trying to think about like the flows people use when they use it and yeah Mm. we can be you know like yes your live stream becomes a an on-demand asset immediately afterwards you can also use us to host and you know the exact same api or your on-demand material and so yeah that's that's how how we differ really a much more complete picture of the ecosystem and a and a great developer experience as well alongside that data product which is all of the reasons you've just listed are why we moved Great. Hands down, why we moved Good. across. <laughs> Is there anything I missed? Um, well, no, not really. I mean, the biggest thing that for us using IVS is, as you said, the on-demand, the the, the near mm. instant on-demand, fully transcoded M3U8 file you get as within seconds yeah. of stopping the stream. On IVS, like you said, you have to essentially you post everything into an S3, then you have to run it through a transcoder, which will take an hour, for or more for an eight-hour stream, and then so much extra work. And you guys, it's like there's the there's the asset ID. It's fantastic. So everything you've just said is exactly why I would like to see a little bit more API personally APIs mm-hmm. on the the data mm-hmm. for the stream data. But I have a specific use case, and mm-hmm. you know, 
I, I, I probably won't get that for a while. Stream Health Fire API is is absolutely on the roadmap. Um, so that Fantastic. should make you happy. Can you push, push <laughs> yes, push it up in, in priority and, and give it to me. We'll do. <laughs> Early access. <laughs> you heard it, you heard it, folks. I mean, you started out saying that video is being put into practically everything these days. And as being on your side of the fence as as the actual technology provider for this, how are you seeing this change playing out in the mm. industry is is it just like an afterthought but add video now or is people are like focusing on video great question um we're seeing both honestly you know often depends on the vertical that we're talking about you know a lot of people are yeah like retrofitting video as like a a value add or a you know mm. like that sort of thing but and a lot of people are you know becoming video video native like I, you know, the, the transformation, you'll appreciate it, right? In, in the events industry in the last mm. 12 to 18 months has been mm. crazy. Like it's completely yeah. changed. And those people now building like native experiences for events, right? Mm. And it's not, it's not now a hybrid or an afterthought. It's like, okay, well, this, this live event is, is the primary experience. And like yeah. a great example of that is Hoppin, right? You know, I, I talked to Johnny 18 months ago when he was, you know, Two people in his bedroom in London. <laughs> Can we just take a moment? <laughs> hop in. In eighteen months, they have gone from two bedroom, two people in a bedroom, to raising over a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it is insane. They're taking all the funding, but it is insane how fast they've grown. Yeah, it is, it is. It's phenomenal. Absolutely. Sorry, derailed from no, that, no, no. Yeah, go on. You know that. That business has gone from, yeah, like two pin bedroom to, you know, whatever, whatever worth now, nine, seven, eight, nine billion dollars. Too, too, too many, too many billions. I, many, many, many billions. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's an example of like, that was built video first. That was, that wasn't, you know, designed to be a, you know, hybrid events company that, that, that is mm. right now like a, a live stream events company. Right. And I, I think that's very like indicative of things, but like, Taking other examples, you know, we do a lot of video with like Robinhood. That's kind of like the share trading app. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. they have they have video in their newsfeed. We provide all of all of that video in the newsfeed, okay. which is which is super cool. But that's like a like hey, like I just want to add video into my app, right? And that's the sort of stories we see a lot of people like hey, like video is really engaging. It's this thing that like keeps mm. people in an app and keeps people like engaged with what they're like what people are building and shipping. So like. We absolutely see people building in. I think, I think the story of 2020, well, 2019, 2020, 2021 <laughs> is, you know, 10 years ago, we kind of had Netflix, right? And a bit mm. of YouTube, I guess. So much of that is now like unpacked, right? You know, we mm. have more streaming services than we can shake a stick at. Oh, yeah. I, I've lost count of the amount I subscribe to. Someone mentioned it the other day and I genuinely... Had I had to go and count them, and I think I've still missed them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it's still it's more everyone. Like and so we had we had that unpacking of like mm. you know Netflix, and you know to a certain extent that has now happened with live video as well, right? A lot mm. of stuffs come unpacked from major pieces. The next unpacking is going to be real time. It's going to be mm -hmm. Zoom. You know, it's going to be. My friend texted me the other day. I've told the story before, but it's. I'm not going to tell again. Um, he's like, oh, I went to the opera the other night. Oh, great. How was it? It's like, eh, it was okay. It was on Zoom. It's like, oh, you watch the opera on Zoom? <laughs> what? I mean, hey, that's a really terrible platform for that, but okay. Yeah. Um, okay. 
but yeah, like there's, there's like, you know, where we were 10 years ago with, with live streaming and, and on-demand video is it's kind of where we are now with real-time video, like real-time video is becoming mainstream, right? You can, you can go and buy WebRTC service platforms and you can start go building real-time mm. applications, which is starting to produce kind of this unbundling experience for like where people just like, you know, on a Friday night after dinner and you, their friends are like, oh, let's, let's have a beer on Zoom together. And it's like, oh, mm. Spent all day in Zoom. It's Zoom, Friday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, isn't there some sort of platform that's oriented around like having a fake pub or things like that? <laughs> and you know, you, you get into products like like Gathertown, which is great fun if you haven't yep. used it. Yeah, like, I've seen 2D that. avatars go hang yeah. out and like you go near people and like you get a WebRTC connection to them. You do real time video with them. Really good fun. Like I, I really like the guys over there. I went to their virtual office once. They have yeah. an office in their own product. Uh, okay. which I thought That's was wonderful. Cool. So, you know, you get there and yeah, there's someone sat behind the front desk and you can chat to them and then you go off to a conference room and it's oh, actually really good fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, yeah, okay. You definitely dog food your product. That's definitely, I appreciate that. <laughs> I think the unpacking of real-time video services is, you know, getting there and it's crazy. I, I've been in the real-time video space a lot in the last six months and the difference to where like streaming video is to where mm -hmm. real-time video is right now is just a, a world apart, right? WebRTC okay. was only, you know, V1 ratified this year, which is crazy mm -hmm. to think about, right? How, how long WebRTC has been around and, you know, there's still a world of improvements that, that can still be done there to, to get that, that protocol more flexible. So I, I think that's where the next major growth sector is, is like doing real-time video as well. Okay. So, yeah. so segueing. Will the next Demuxed be real-time video, or is that going to be streaming? Nice segue. It'll be, yeah, yeah, it'll no. go there, very nice segue. <laughs> so Demuxed 2021. Probably should start that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you run an event, apparently I called do. Demuxed. Can you tell me a little bit about it? I do. Hey, is this a video podcast? Can I show, like, I actually have a Demuxed mug yes. in the convenience yes. time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so Demuxed is uh, the conference for engineers working in video. So this is, this is the, what, five, six, seventh year. Merxed, okay. I think five okay. was 2019, six was 2020, so seven was 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So this started as a, a terrible drunken idea in a bar, as, <laughs> as they kind of all do. We've been doing, like, I, I was living in San Francisco at the time. We've been doing San Francisco Video Tech Meetup for yeah, probably a couple of years at that point, um, you know, at least. And conversation kind of goes, hey, why don't we get together and do a day of these talks? Yeah. That sounds like a good idea, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we did that first time around in, in 2015, it must have been. Yeah, 2015. First one we yep. did was 2015. It definitely exists. Had to do math. <laughs> the website's still there. If, you, if you're really into it, okay. you can actually go see 2015.demux.com, 2016.demux.com. They all exist still. <laughs> so that was, you know, October 2015. We... Got together in in what at the time was the Crunchyroll uh, kind of event space, and you know I think it was a couple of hundred of us. It's pretty great. Twenty nineteen, we were uh, you know eight hundred people in a huge warehouse in South San Francisco. Twenty twenty, over you know well over a thousand, you know eleven hundred people wow. uh, online streaming with with very good uptake rate and very good retention rate there. So yeah, twenty twenty one, where you know we were hoping to be hybrid you know, this year, but it doesn't happen. You know, things, yeah. things change in 2021. So yeah. And you know, the, there's talks there from, 
Netflix, from Twitch, from mm. YouTube, from Facebook, from the, the biggest video tech companies in the world. And it really is video technology engineers, low level video tech, just talking technically with other video engineers. There's no yeah. sales, there's no pay to speak, there's no nothing. It is all about the, the video tech space. Wow. That um, is an absolute nerd fest. I love it. <laughs> it, it really is. Oh. Yeah. And, and, and we, and we love it. And it's, it really is a say, but it's, it's a passion project at this point. You know, it, it, you know, we, we do it alongside our day jobs and it, it takes an awful lot of time <laughs> and, and work to do, but it is, it is so important. And, and we love the community that, that comes out of that as well. So it's fantastic. So maybe you can tell me then, I mean, you're doing this alongside your day job. What, <laughs> what are some of the key learnings of like actually producing these types of events and as a video company you're putting them online they are hybrid or they're at least virtual or there is there's the online so what have you been taking away for the longest time we we used to before 2020 let's let's say this before 2020 we you know we, we really want to get people in the room we think it's very important people are in the room and like we, we always run like a single track conference as well we don't have like multiple rooms we have like we have spaces people can go to and they, they can actually watch the live stream in the breakout room okay. <laughs> uh, but it is just the mainstream so yeah we, we you know up until 2019 that was just how we did it mm. 2020 things changed we were you know fairly late to cancel and, and the live stream historically had just been on twitch honestly like we would just stream on twitch and you know no payment gateway no nothing you know we much prefer you to be there in person but if you can't be there hey it's all on twitch it's all live there just go watch it now and and the team at Twitch were were huge part of that as well. They would you know come and do the videography for us and, oh, cool. and the OBS setup for us and everything, and they would run uh, the stream for us on the day, and that was great. But obviously, coming into twenty twenty, things mm -hmm. things changed a bit. So twenty twenty, we 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 built our own platform for lack of a, a better you know description. We we were very lucky. At, at kind of day job muck stuff mm -hmm. uh we'd actually just hired someone who had a bunch of experience twitch streaming and so and and relatively big events there as well in the like fighting game space it's pretty cool yeah and he joined uh, a year ago this week oh, and congratulations. during his first week we were like hey how do you fancy <laughs> building a thing <laughs> <laughs> so um he's a big vmix guy vmix uh you know a very very impressive tool suite for building live streams so he actually did a, a huge amount of work there for the actual live we uh, kind of think about format a little bit important to us is like we, we want to make it like well produced but also mm -hmm. feel human mm. so we have to find a hybrid there a little bit so the way we do it is the talks are pre-recorded so we you know, give you, like, we pick you a couple of months out and then we say, okay, please pre-record. Here's some information on how to record yourself. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we do it in a very specific way. So we say, okay, don't do any post-processing on it. Literally just get a decent mic, get a decent camera or as best you can, like <laughs> put a light on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't face back to the window like Matt did last year. Oh, <laughs> um, oh, of all things didn't it didn't even have a blind it was ridiculous oh uh, lovely lovely nice and like either record yourself in like a side-by-side -side view so like just the two streams put together mm -hmm. like your screen share and your and your your video your headshot or like get two cameras like a screen recording and like your raw camera and just like clap at the start of it so you get a sync point point. and then we do the editing and so we have a, a great 
production editor who we, we pay. He's a good friend of Matt's from Atlanta in Georgia. And what he does is he'll then, yeah, like go and edit out of mistakes and make you look amazing and all those sorts of things. Like, I mean, when I, when I, when I do the DMUX podcast, they're about twice as long as the content you get out of them with me and me you know, guys fluffing, whatever we say. So yeah, like we encourage people to record and like, if you fumble, just like, ah, sorry, I'll start that again and do it again. Mm. And, you know, do that one slide again. And we'll, we pretty much like, we don't do anything super advanced there. Like it, a lot of, you know, we do it as jump cut edits. Like mm-hmm. it's not, there's no point in going in and being really fancy there and pretending like it was perfect first time. There's, there's no benefit there. And, and so we do that. They produce us two versions of that content. Then mm-hmm. one version that's for the live stream and one version that's for the, the on-demand archive. The on-demand archive is like fully produced with like lower furs and animated backgrounds and that sort of thing. And the version that's for the live stream is actually very simple. It mm-hmm. kind of just has the, the two video cutouts mm-hmm. and the borders around the video. And that's so that we can do the lower thirds live. That's so that we can do all that sort of thing as, as live content. So on the day, then we, so Man and I do live emceeing on the event. So we're, we're talking to each other like we are now, mm-hmm. introduce the event, do kind of the opening stuff, and then we'll play the talk mm-hmm. and then we'll invite the participants to come in live to talk about, like to take Q&A. So, yeah. you know, if the talk's 10 minutes, so you can get five minutes of, of live Q&A at the end of it. That's great because it means like the talk's always going to go, you know, to time. It's mm. always going to be well-produced. The audio is always going to be good. We'll do whatever post-processes we need, any noise reduction on the audio and the post-production. And, you know, if that person's got bad internet on the day, it's only their Q&A. Like, it's yeah. not the end of the world. You know, it's more important that talks there and well-produced. So we think that's huge. You know, the, the, the talk, we think that's the best, the best of both worlds. Like, the person is there live, gets to answer Q&A in real time, but the talk's still going to be well-produced and, mm. and well put together. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's, that's a good point that you're making is, is getting people as much pre-record because on a live event uh, or a fully virtual event, you can just stream the pre-record. It's still yep. going out live, but you can control that quality, you know, using a tool like we're using right now, Riverside, where we're just chatting in WebRTC, whatever quality, whatever, but then the, the, the upload is going to be mm-hmm. 4K. It's all going to be the best quality it can yep. be. So you're not worried about, you know, you can do post-processing. So I wonder if, if that's kind of maybe a best case mm-hmm. for, for technicians to be like, get as much pre-record done as possible and then just, you know, comp in people after yeah. the thing. It's a really yeah. interesting. One of the big pieces for us there is it enables us to have a great accessibility story. Mm. Um, this is so important to to us right now. So by having those pre-records, you know, a few days ready, early and ready and edited, we also give them to our captioners and mm-hmm. our captioners produce perfectly aligned, you know, 99.9999% accurate captions for that content. And then on the day we work with, we work with Red Bee Media in London who, you know, they do the captions for the BBC. We don't just use them because I used to work in the same office, <laughs> as I promised. No, no, uh, no, they're no. just really good at what they do. They, they do a great, a great service for us. So what they do is during the day, they kind of listen on our, our caption loop. And for live caption, live, live pieces, they'll do live captioning, so mm-hmm. live stereography or talk over. And that'll be, yeah, that'll be a, a few seconds delayed and there'll be some inaccuracies in it. But then when a, a talk starts, they're going to play in that pre-produced file so the alignment will be perfect you know the the wording will be perfect so like we can really improve 
the experience from an accessibility standpoint there. Yeah. That's huge as well. Yeah. Um, we're actually at, at Bettercast, we're in talks. We're going to be partnering with a company uh, called Rev and mm-hmm. we're offering, we're going to start offering full captions as default nice. AI captions free mm-hmm. and then human captions as a paid Excellent. upgrade for that, that level of accessibility mm. um, for yeah. after the event, so giving important. that level. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I've also had on on the show uh, a fellow Tim from Talon Entertainment uh, talking about stenography, talking about the technology mm. of live captioning, and mm. also how that can be included into platforms. Mm-hmm. Some some players and some services don't support injection on the server of of live mm-hmm. captioning, which is a shame. But I'm sure it's one of those things. It's sort of it just has to uh, come about, you know, a little bit more time, but accessibility is the, I mean, one of the key and foundational things that going online and hybrid does is makes this accessible. If you have Mm -hmm. any physical ailment or handicap and you can't make it, Mm -hmm. not necessarily just I'm not going, but doing online opens up this information that is usually cloistered in a large Mm -hmm. warehouse, you know? So yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Accessibility is as, as a function is for me anyway. No, Absolutely. Could not agree more. (laughs) (laughs) So in a changing world, how are you seeing or what do you see the future of online events and online video? And I want to prereq, like there are some platforms that are trying to do like VR and, you know, all of this, which I'm I'm not Mm. a big fan of. I think it's very gimmicky. But what do you see? I mean, you are right in the middle of it. What are you seeing the future, 10 years even? Ten years, ten years. Wow, uh, we'll all be brains in jars. Yeah, I think. <laughs> then we can have the VR experience. Uh, Perfect. No, no, I, I, I kind of agree with you. You know, I think the AR VR stuff is is very immature where it is now. Like, it's not to say it won't get somewhere interesting, but but all of kind of the experience that I've tried make make fairly big sacrifices to get to that AR, AR VR experience. So I'm not, you know, super excited about that. You know, I think, I think the writing's on the wall. That the future is, is hybrid. Like the, and, you know, we, we have this policy at work, which is, is remote equal. So, you know, like it doesn't matter kind of where you are, you're, you're equal with, with people who are like, yeah, located in America or San Francisco specifically. Mm. And I think trying to get to that like remote equal experience for, for online events is going to be like critical over mm. the coming year. Like, you know, as, as much as I'd like to sit there and say like, Hey, you know, COVID's gone, it's over. It's, it, it isn't right. Like yeah. as you know, it's, it's we're, we're going to be stuck with this thing, especially globally. Like we're going to mm. be stuck with this thing for a good while yet. So like, and I think it's, it's changed how people think about travel as well. Like people are going to be doing just fundamentally less traveling. Yeah. Um, they're going to be trying to like string things together, like string together different events in different time zones. So I think, yeah, the ARVR stuff is a bit gimmicky. I think reducing the latency and increasing the interactivity is, mm-hmm. is going to be critical over the next like short term. That's going to be critical. Like getting people's reactions and chat and, you know, that sort of thing in as quickly as possible, I think is, is, is very important. And, you know, there's, there's people doing super interesting stuff there around like, yeah, using, using WebRTC for, mm. for components there to really bring the latency down. And, and that can be things like I was doing a webinar the other day and, and they had this cool 
cool experience where it's like we'd be doing the, the webinar and then if someone had a question they could ask it themselves right you can just mm. say hey i'm gonna unmute this person from the audience and now you can ask and doing that with larger and larger audiences is really exciting without it being like this jarring experience and changing in latencies because they might have to transition from one protocol to another those sorts of things i think i'm i'm very bullish about like seeing that that experience change and mm. you know i'm i'm also we, we talked about webrtc a bit WebRTC is, is, you know, has today to make quite a lot of sacrifices around perceptual quality and, you know, to, to get to a good latency. I think that'll change over the next five years. We'll see more ability to tune WebRTC at the, the receiver end to be able to say, hey, actually, I'm fine with 500, second, 500 milliseconds or, you know, a second of latency, but I mm. still want to be on WebRTC because that's that's like... A second of latency there at global scale is actually really, really good. But like that technology has to evolve a bit from the receiver perspective and, and you know, even the encoder and the SFU perspective. But beyond that, like the, there has to be like a fundamental change in the cost model for those sorts of super low latency, you know, ultra yeah. low latency, some people refer to it as, or like sub-second technologies to become to become like financially accessible to people mm. today those technologies tend to be an order of magnitude more expensive than you know traditional streaming technologies like hls and dash and those sorts yeah. of things so like when we get to a point where we can truly do like web rtc on the cdn like things mm. are going to start to change big time we're going to get to like hyper low latency like ultra or hyper low latency or whatever we want to call it <laughs> um, at scale for events so i think that'll be exciting but yeah really you know that that interactivity model has to become is going to become really important it's like yeah like one of the big things we always you know loved with dmux was like the hallway experience mm. and nobody's been able to create that in my opinion like in in the same meaningful way it's like the hallway experience I would wander down the hallway at Demuxed. I'd be like, you know, there's Derek from Vimeo. There's, you know, Casey from Netflix. There's, you know, and like, I can chat to those people. And like, mm. you bump into those people and it's un, un, unstructured and it's social. And like, a lot of platforms have tried to replicate this, right? By whether it's like, a, I hate using it as an example, like a chat roulette style experience mm. where you're just like, put me in with someone for two minutes. Off we go. Yep. Probably someone I hate is fine. It's only two minutes. <laughs> um, like think about how you can like do almost discoverable groups. So if like, like if I see a couple of my friends over there in, in the hallway between talks, like I'll be like, Oh, I'll go and hang out with them. And like, that might be like mm. three really influential people from three different companies and like have that experience. But also hallways to us always included like sponsorship experiences. Mm. It's really hard in a lot of cases to give really cool sponsorship and really meaningful sponsorship experiences to companies who want to sponsor events as well. And like I, I've seen lots of implementations with like demo booths that just mm -hmm. stay empty most of the day. And it, it like, whereas in a, a true hallway in a conference, like there's always people milling around, always people looking at freebies mm. and like, yeah, mm. like you haven't kind of have this weird obligation where it's like, well, I'll watch your demo, but I really just want that power bank down pen. there. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I've done that myself a few times. I'm not going to lie. Yes. All my USB <laughs> sticks are from uh, demos. But yeah, I, I think, I think nailing those two things is really going to change online experiences mm. as well. Cause like, it's not remote equal cause you, like, those things don't work as well in a virtual environment yeah. like like we were we've been playing around with what we're going to do with like breaks during demux this this year so that's mm. in 
less than a month and we're still thinking about things. That's kind of how we work yep. at DMUX. We really <laughs> cut it down the line. No, Shooting it's... from the hip. <laughs> yeah. I won't tell you how many, how close last year was to the line. Um, <laughs> there was code changes every night during the conference last year, but that was, that was good fun. And we're, we're pondering nice. things like um, during the ad breaks, like do we want quizzes? Like do we want like mm. fun things going on during like... Like we call them ad breaks. They're also like bathroom breaks and coffee breaks and that mm-hmm. sort of thing where, where in, in the normal conference, yeah, you would go and like, yeah, get a coffee, but also walk through the sponsor area, chat to people, maybe grab mm. some food. But like when it's online, you get to that break and people just kind of switch off. They go to the bathroom, they yep. get a coffee, they're on their own. Like they're not engaged yep. in the streaming because maybe you haven't like made anything engaging in the stream in that time. But like, mm. how do you do that? How do you make that engaging? That's... That's going to be good fun. Interesting. And how do you think, for me and a lot of the people we work with, the focus on quality of production Mm. is less about it's a live stream and more about this is TV, this is broadcast television that that the events are doing now. So taking the core learnings of broadcast television production into the live stream, and when you see what some of these guys – I mean, quite literally, children are doing on Twitch streaming, <laughs> on YouTube, like the level yep. of production yep. that these kids are getting with a couple of hundred bucks of gear in their bedroom while they're playing a goddamn game is phenomenal. So what are you seeing in that sort of shift? Are you seeing that is generally like mm. we're in TV now yeah. or there's still a long way to go? What do you think? Oh, Great question. Very, very, very near and dear to my heart at the moment. The question about like making content production accessible is is oh so so important. Yeah, I have this this example slide that I occasionally use that talks about like everyone's becoming a live streamer now. And yeah. a couple of examples in there is like like I, I used I like wrote the slide during twenty nineteen uh, early twenty twenty I think it was actually it's like f1 drivers are suddenly twitch streamers like lando norris and and people like that yeah. suddenly, like they're in their bedrooms yeah. now like like we do in my live stream right? yeah but also like your university professor is is now a live streamer like and there's mm. there's a big difference between those two right and their ability to drive obs as an example yeah. um like <laughs> your university professor might not even be able to install obs on his laptop yeah. <laughs> so like there is this this huge market evolving for like browser-based content production and like that's that's coming on hand over fist. You know, you look at how much Hoppin bought StreamYard for. Like, is a real mm. reinforcement of how how that technology is going to become like the, the future of content production. The browser is getting better and better at processing video every every year. It's better and better. And mm. Google put something called Web Codex into the browser mm. this year, which is a really big deal for manipulating low level audio video in the browser you know where previously like even even getting something with a regular iframe into all was virtually impossible is is now like meaningfully possible so like manipulating media in the browser is going to get really much better there's a great talk at dmux this year about that and that that is critical so like the browser will become this tool for creating live video i'm, I'm completely convinced mm. that. and it will get to a point where you can get to you know close to a television it's not up to a television quality broadcast experience from from browser based technologies. You know that's going to be like a hybrid of a bunch of stuff. Like it's mm. going to be a hybrid of like WebRTC plus like maybe Canvas or WebGL and those sorts of things. But like we've seen people produce streams where you know they they just link up their Zoom to to us and like yeah that's super unengaging, right? It's just yeah. you're going to end up broadcasting a black background rectangles that just jump around when somebody joins or leaves 
And like, that's just so mm-hmm. unengaging. Like something as simple as like a nice background, an overlay, mm. lower thirds, like just as simple as that is just this huge step up from where a lot of people are now in terms of the content they produce. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't think, I don't really think that the tools like, like no offense, like OBS and, you know, vMix and that sort of thing, like that they're, they're great products and great tools. They're not accessible in general, no. right? The next step of accessible live streaming will be, yeah, building, building studio tools in, in browsers and then mm. compositing that and making those amazing experiences. And there's, there's a lot going on in that yeah. space. It's a very exciting space, obviously. Yeah. Like StreamYard's done a lot to, to start the foundations there. And, and obviously that's why Hoppin went and paid a lot of money to acquire them. Mm-hmm. The guys at Restream, Restream Studio is now incredibly popular I as well. Love, I use Restream Studio. I think it's a fantastic yeah. tool. And there's a small startup in San Francisco called Stream Club doing some really cool stuff as well. Okay. Very much like very closer to an OBS in the browser. Like rather than like just having these predefined layouts, yeah, I can put it in custom mode. I can drag anything anywhere I want. And yeah, really cool, really cool product. So that stuff is going to, going to become huge. I'm seeing, personally, I'm seeing a split in the market. There is, I, I, I believe you're going to have desktop production, which is that, like you were just talking about, I am producing my own event mm. for X number of people. And there's definitely going to be that. But there's also, and this is where uh, Bettercast really sits, working with AV and audio production mm. teams, is event managers who are doing a hybrid event they're not going to be doing it in browser. Yeah. They're not going to be sitting there. They need the production team to be doing it. And I think that there's definitely a split and a lot of like hop in, as you said, StreamYard, mm-hmm. they are putting their cash into and their, their, their eggs into the desktop published events yep. and, and, you know, only hybrid, only virtual. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Whereas the, I, I see, and quite a lot of people do see that hybrid is actually the long term where it is that, that broadcast level mm. uh, of like it's a camera in a venue with a with a switcher, yeah. you know, um, and I th- and a lot of these streamers, I, I keep saying it, and I reckon that it'll start to be that a lot of the streamers will, you know, they'll go into a career in mm. hybrid event production, you know. <laughs> oh, That's actually quite a I, good idea. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, like you've spent the last ten or you know five years mm. streaming to a million people every single day. We'll just take that exact same skill set and go into a corporate environment and stream five different rooms across six different ca- like it's 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 the same stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But the le- the level of understanding they're going to bring to I really think that there's a whole new super career opening up. Super interesting. I think so. That's, anyway. that's a, no genuinely really interesting idea. That like I mean that's kind of what we did with, with our, our content production guy Ed. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. So yeah. No, completely agree. That's that's yeah. I hadn't really thought about it like that from like a, Hey, these Twitch streamers are going to turn into, yeah. Content producers now for like corporates. That, that's a super interesting idea. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's fantastic and, and absolutely a great, you know, yeah. a great way yeah. of doing it. My son is maybe a little too young <laughs> yet, but I'll push him into it. So I want to wind up. It's been a really, really interesting yeah, chat. What I want to wind up with is you have spoken about stuff that Mux has mm. already in the pipeline is there anything that you can maybe give us a hint on for future or at least plans on what Mux is sort of planning uh, for the greater, especially for developers or people trying to implement their own? Definitely. Check with me before you publish this, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when developers come to Mux looking to build video 
we categorize that market into three slices. People want to build uh, on-demand video, right? The Netflix is the YouTube, the, the, you mm-hmm. know, everyone knows what on-demand video is, right? Live streaming video, right? Like either like a Twitch or like what you guys do, like live events, those sorts of things. And then real time. And hey, developers don't actually know the difference between live streaming and real time. Because they can kind of look really mm. alike. The only real difference is like mm. the communication aspect of it, like the bidirectionality of it or multi-directionality yeah. of it and the latency, right? Like we're probably at like 150 milliseconds somewhere in that region versus, mm. you know, seconds. We want to service all those markets. So, you know, real time becomes this critical piece of of what we want to do at Mux down the road. Interesting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time. That's been a really interesting chat. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, this is really good fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers.